Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great uh, to be with you. If you're new here, I would love to meet you in the foyer afterwards, or if we don't get a chance to talk and you want to know about next steps you can take here to get connected uh, with some folks here, there's a place right out there. It's called Parkview Connect, where you can do that. We'd love to have you uh, get connected here. So um, we are starting a five-week series this whole month of April called Easter Before and After. And so there's a couple things we're looking for out of this. First, I think one of the most fascinating studies this time of year is to look at the last week in Jesus' life and ministry before the crucifixion and resurrection. It seems like I've studied that many times, but every year there's always something new that hits me in a fresh way. And so the Easter before and after means that, that we're going to look chronologically starting Thursday night at 6 o'clock of that Easter week and just see what Jesus walked through. And then we're going to take it beyond Easter Sunday with the resurrection. We're going to spend a week and just look at the ascension of Christ. And what does it mean for us today that Jesus is alive? So many times we stop with the Easter story. But today Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven. So we're going to talk about the ascension. And then on the last week of April, we're going to talk about the return of Christ. So a lot of Jesus these five weeks, which is a good thing. All right. So the other reason why we're calling this before and after is that I think there's something amazing for us to learn as you look at the life of Christ. Jesus is really unique in so many ways as a historical leader, as a figure. Most uh, historical folks that are written about, you'll, you'll, most of the writing will be about the, the parts of their life. You will see very little focus toward the end of their life. With Jesus, a third of the gospel material we have all deals with the Passion Week and with the resurrection and, and the time that Jesus spent with his followers after that. That's a third of the gospel material. So there's clearly something for us to learn from Jesus in this last week. And so the before and after is, what could God do in our lives during these five weeks as we look at Jesus and we look at the life that he died for us to have? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's one of the chapters that talks very clearly about the resurrection of Christ. It makes a phrase, there's a phrase in there about Jesus that says that he's a life-giving force. And the whole purpose of this Easter season is to celebrate what Jesus has done. He didn't die to make bad people good, but he died to make dead people come alive. Like for every one of us, there's a change that even if you've known this Easter story for years or you've celebrated this for years, God in his love can still look at our hearts and see dead spots. Like there's some places where we are still not fully alive. And so our goal is in this Easter season is that we allow God to expose some of those things so that we truly are as, as people and as a church living the life that Jesus died for us to have. So here's a few before and after pictures that maybe you've seen this first one before. It's pretty famous of Abraham Lincoln. On the left, that's what he looked like coming into office. But on the right, you see what the tolls of the presidency and especially the Civil War did to him, okay? Like, that's pretty striking. Just like if you're a parent, you can show your kids the pictures before you had kids and after you had kids. And say, yeah, we used to look a lot different and you guys did this to us, right? So, so there's a before and after. Uh, here's another one, um, Tom, Tom Cruise. Before and after a little dental work. Like, that's, that's a good advertisement for dentists here. Like, look, look what you could do, right? So there's Tom Cruise before and after. Here's one. 
uh, of, of somebody taking a semester of a drawing class. I think actually the picture on the left is good. Like for me, there would have to be another picture on the left of just a stick guy with a circle. Like that's about what I could do. But there's a good before and after. And here's one more if you've got dogs. Maybe this has happened to you too. So our cute little lab puppy is now 100 pounds. But there's, yeah, so there's some before and afters. But wouldn't it be cool is if at the end of this Easter season that there'd be some before and after shots of our hearts and our lives as we really look in at what Jesus has done for us. So let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and start on this. So let's, let's pray here. Father, um, we need your help this morning. And for some of us, we're going to be talking about some familiar stories, but yet you're a loving Father that can look in every one of our hearts. And there's not a single person in this room that has this down. Like we can't look at the life of Jesus and go, yeah, I've got that. I've got what he's got. Because you are a Father that has an endless supply of life for us. And Jesus, you rose again, and you are a life-giving force. And so I'll put myself in the front of the line this morning that I'm a man who needs your life. I need what you have for me. And so may we all just hunger to learn more from you, Jesus, during these five weeks as we watch the path that you rode uh, through trials to the cross, through the grave, to be the ascended King of kings and the returning uh, Lord of lords. So may we just learn from you in these five weeks. And so um, thank you that you're a great teacher and that you're patient with us and you will show us what you want us to know. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, where we're going to start with our Passion Week timeline, you'll see you have a bulletin and an outline. We're going to try to fill that in as we go on. And anytime you see times attached to these kind of timelines, uh, they're, they're all estimates, okay? But, but roughly, we're going to start with Thursday around 6 o'clock of the Passion Week. And so Jesus would be crucified 9 o'clock on Friday the next morning. Uh, he would surrender his spirit and die on the cross at 3 o'clock that Friday afternoon. And then Easter morning would come. So we're in that time period, we're looking at Thursday around 6 o'clock where Jesus brought his disciples together in a room that they had rented or reserved to celebrate Passover together. And that was a momentous evening. It was the evening where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he taught them about servant leadership. It was also at that meal where it was exposed that Judas would be the one to betray him. And so Judas even slips out of that time to go carry on his act of betrayal. And what you have next is some of the richest teaching in Scripture. John 13 through 17, you see Jesus teaching his disciples in that upper room the essentials that they would need uh, to live out their faith while he's gone. And so in your outline, I show you the various topics that we have a part in the notes there. It says for further study. And that's something you can look at. We did a whole sermon series on those, those topics about two years ago. We called it uh, uh, What Really Matters. And so that was one of my favorite series that we've done here. But So that has just happened. And now Jesus, where we're going to pick up the story is that Jesus and his disciples are leaving this upper room experience. And now they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was, if you look at a map of Jerusalem, sometimes when we see that Jesus moved from this place to that, sometimes we think there might be big distances involved. It was actually a pretty short walk from the temple courts to the Garden of Gethsemane, about 300 yards. And so you're leaving Jerusalem, you're on the outskirts of town, you're at the base of the Mount of Olives. And this was a garden where Jesus often prayed and often took his disciples to pray. So in this very momentous night, Jesus is going to that place to pray. And before we delve into his prayer, I'm just going to start with this point that throughout Jesus' teaching in life, 
there's an amazing paradox that he puts out there. The great paradox uh, is that is that there is victory in surrender. And that is totally foreign to us. Like we could not imagine next fall, let's say we're all at Kinnick Stadium for the season opener and the Hawkeyes are on one side, the other team's on the other and everybody's ready for this game to start. And then Herky comes out into the field and just pulls out a big white flag and just starts doing this. And all the Hawkeyes walk off the field like this, like, we'd be like, what? You know, Iowa doesn't do that. I might, Iowa State might do that, but we don't do that here. Like, we, we don't surrender. We, you know, like, it's just so foreign. But, but there's an amazing paradox here that we're going to see victory and surrender. And actually, throughout Jesus' life and teaching, he said things like, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you will find it. Or Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalt, exalted. And Jesus said, the greatest one, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the way you come to Jesus, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Um, these are all just, just contrary to the way we think and the way we operate. I want to say, especially as American Christians, like I think sometimes we can be so guilty of wanting my agenda and not God's agenda. Like we are so good at, these are the dreams for my life, or this is what I'm gonna do with my life, and we'll write up our little plan and just hand it to God and say, God, would you just endorse this? Because this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna be all about. And no offense, but like our plan side by side with God's plan, there's like no comparison. You talk about the almighty God, the all wise God, the the plan that he's had from all of eternity uh, to bless mankind, to exalt himself. Like our little plan compared to his, no offense again, but God's not going to look at our plans and go, wow, that's an amazing plan. I had never thought of your plan. Let me just change my plan and let's just reboot everything and just go with what you, you want to do. But I'll be honest, that's how we operate so many times. Like it's about me, it's about my plan. It's about what I want to do. And Jesus is going to just invite us into a whole different way. It's a whole paradox in thinking that it's not going to be my way. It's going to be God's way. And so there's, there's a great paradox here. And so, but that, that paradox of surrender is actually not an easy place for us to go. And what I so appreciate about the prayer we're going to see that Jesus prayed is that he's going to model for us how do we get there? How do we be people that tend to be driven by our own plans and ambitions and be willing to lay those aside and go with what God wants us to do. And so you look at Mark, if you have a Bible or you want to go to a phone app or whatever, go to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. The verses, I think, are on the, they'll be on the screen and they're in your handout as well. So we see Jesus battle for this surrender. And it says that they went to a place called Gethsemane. So it's, again, Jesus and his disciples have just left the upper room. They're going to this place to pray. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And, and what we're gonna see here in this garden is a totally different picture of Jesus than we're used to seeing. You look through the gospels, you see Jesus walking on water. You see Jesus healing diseases. You see Jesus combating those who are you know, opposing him. You see a time even where people are just ready to just throw Jesus off a cliff and he just walks right through him. Like you see assertive, confident, 
bold Jesus. But what we see here in the garden is a completely different glimpse. He says he's greatly distressed and that he's troubled. And we're going to see that as he continues in this, in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, is that Jesus is overwhelmed with grief, with sorrow, with pain. Jesus is picturing for us what we do when those moments come into our lives as well. Like it is, I don't need to tell most of you this, but when you sign up to start following Jesus and live for him, it's not going to be easy. Like we we still live in a sin-stained world. It is a battle for us to say and to follow God no matter what comes, okay? And so here's Jesus um, knowing what's coming. And so there's a battle for surrender uh, going on here. And so what do you do when battle comes? We do what Jesus did. Jesus, I see a couple things. He got away to pray. He got away to a place of prayer. Prayer was a regular rhythm in Jesus' life. Uh, The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew uh, to solitary places to pray. He had a rhythm. He had a place of prayer. You also see um, that Jesus had people around him. When he was in this moment of crisis, he brought his 11 with him, the disciples. Remember, the 12th Judas had already left to go betray him. So he had his 11. And then even that out of his 11, he had his three. He had Peter, James, and John. He didn't battle this alone. He, even as the Son of God, needed people in his life. And so already Jesus is modeling, what do you do when, when life is hard, when you're being crushed with what's coming up, whether you're heavy with sorrow, is that you go and you pray, and you get people around you to pray, to pray with you. And so he's modeling that for us. And then I just love the, the, the prayer that he prays. We see it in verse 36. Let me, let me pick it up, actually, verse 35. It says, he goes a little further, and he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, and again, listen to the brevity and the power of this prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There's a couple things about this prayer. Maybe you've seen, there's kind of a famous picture of, Jesus kind of kneeling against a rock. His hands are folded and he's kind of got a white and kind of red robe on. And there's this moonbeam from heaven shining on him. And I know it's probably hard to to render as an artist what Jesus looked like and what he did. But I can tell you that this was a prayer from a place of anguish. That if you read the Gospels, that Jesus was throwing himself on the ground. That Jesus was weeping. That Luke tells us that there may have even been uh, sweat drops of of blood. That's how intense he was. That's how heavy he was. That's how sorrowful he was. And so in the midst of that pain, he prays this prayer. We're also, there's an illusion there that this wasn't a one and done prayer. It wasn't like he just said these four statements and then got up, that this prayer was continuous. He kept repeating it. He kept battling for victory in the midst of this prayer. And so let's break down what he prayed, guys, because this is incredibly instructive for us. Uh, again, Jesus showing us how do we how do we handle it when there's intense sorrow and battle in our lives. So there's four statements he says. The first one is he starts with the word Abba, Father. Okay, you'll notice some parallels if you know the Lord's Prayer when he you know taught the disciples how to pray. He started in the exact same way. He's the word Father, and um, to us that's kind of a formal word. The word he used 
was an Aramaic word that was actually meant like little kids would use it. It was like the word daddy, all right? So the picture here is when you're starting to pray, I think sometimes our biggest hold up in prayer is we don't understand who we're talking to. Like when we think that God maybe is too distant or too big or doesn't care or that we don't quite measure up to talk to him, I think that changes how we talk. We try to, holy if, father if, we if, thank if you if, like we try to clean up or spiritualize our prayer. I've even had people say, you know what, I just can't pray because I just feel so ashamed coming to God or just how can I pray to him when I'm just going to be asking him to forgive me for the same things again? Like so this whole concept of God, Jesus says, hey, when you pray, the first thing I want you to say is daddy. And I want you to picture that when you're praying, it's kind of like, when my kids were younger, they don't do this any, anymore. Uh, it would be really weird if they did. But like when they're when they're younger and they see you and they just come and run across the room, Daddy, you know, and just it's so beautiful to picture that when you see that Daddy getting down, you know, to their level and swooping them up and maybe throwing them in the air, right, or just twirling them around or or just celebrating. I remember when my kids were younger, we'd go on short mission trips of two weeks or so. My kids would always be the ones at the airport just blasting through security, <laughs> like just running up to me just to just to see me. That my, They don't have quite the same response anymore when I come home. But when they were younger, they used to get that, you know? And so, but as a, that's the picture of prayer, is that when you come into his presence, he's not like, oh, great, here's Doug again. Or just who, you know, like, there's just picture that dad down on his knees just picking us up. It just expresses it says so much about God, not necessarily about us, but God is a compassionate, loving father that just loves to hear from his kids that maybe one thing to help your prayer life isn't so much to focus on you and your wording, but just focus on who you're talking to. You just talk to him. A little kid doesn't worry about, oh, is this going to sound right or not? They just go, Daddy! You know, they just cry out. And so that's the posture of prayer Jesus says to start with, is just know that you are loved, you are accepted, and kind of the relationship that, that he's alluding to there is one of trust. Just like a little kid just loves to be in his daddy's arms. So that's how he starts. When you're, when you're praying, you say, Abba, Father. And then the next statement is, all things are possible for you. So that's an amazing statement of God's power and his sovereignty and his rule. Saying, God, you are in charge. God, you don't ask permission of anybody. God, you, you have the plan. Like You are the ruler. You are the leader. You're the king of kings. And so um, it's an amazing expression, just like in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says, Father, and then the next statement is, hallowed be your name, like just glorious, strong, uh, almighty. And so it's laying down those two thoughts side by side that I think is the crucial foundation of any prayer, that God is good. He loves us. He's compassionate. He cannot wait to hear from us. And at the same time, he is our rock. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's almighty God. Just those, if you lose one of those, your prayer life just crumbles. You need to know both. He's so excited to see you. And I just wonder which one you're wavering on this morning. Like, are there doubts about God's control or doubts about God's power? Or maybe more frequent, are there doubts of his love for you, of his enjoyment of just hearing your voice? But that's, that's where Jesus started, Father. All things are possible for you. And this third request, you guys, is, is a staggering one. He says, uh, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. In Isaiah 51, 17, there's a mention of God's cup. And it, 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 it was an allusion to the wrath of God. 
don't know if you knew this, we don't like to think about this, but the wrath of God is mentioned more in the Bible than, than the love of God. And so Jesus is saying, take this cup from me because Jesus knew what was coming his way, what the plan has been from eternity past, is that, is that Jesus was going to step up and take the wrath of God on himself on the cross. So the whole Easter message is that we are a sinful people, that we have offended God, we have hurt the people God has created. And you hear me say this, I'm in the front of the line, I'm the worst sinner I know, you guys can fight for a second, but that's our problem. And God, God is a holy God, he cannot just kind of brush our sin off. Um, he, he's right to be angry at sin as a holy God. Uh, but he's also God who loved us. And so something had to be done with the wrath of God. And that's the whole plan of the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, living, dying for us on the cross, taking the wrath of God because of God's love for us. So that was the whole plan. And what you see Jesus doing here is, Father, can you take that cup away? Father, is there any way that, that we cannot have your wrath poured on me? It's a huge it's a huge request. It's an honest request. Like, is there a part of you that would just go, Jesus, you can't ask that. Like, your, your job is to come and be the Savior. You can't just bail now. You just see the honest cry because Jesus knew for the first time in his whole existence, I, we have no understanding of what that would be like to take the wrath of God against every sin that's been committed on this planet to be poured on us, to have the perfect love relationship with our Heavenly Father be, be disrupted by that moment of receiving his wrath. That was just crushing Jesus. And so he has, he would say the nerve, he has the boldness to ask, God, can you take this cup away? I, I just wonder if sometimes this peace is missing in our prayer lives, that God loves to hear what's on your heart. I don't, I don't know if you've read through some of the Psalms before and you see what the, the guys in the Bible prayed for and asked for. Sometimes you just kind of recoil and go, are you, are you serious? Like, that's, that's a big ask. But I, this is a huge one. Jesus is saying, take, take this cup from me. You see that coming from a, a place of honesty. You see that coming from a place of pain. And so um, I'll be honest, like last hour I was speaking this, and there's a guy sitting in the back over there that I know has just been battling some very hard things. And I, I can just imagine that, that guy's prayer over the last three years has been, God, take this cup from me. And for whatever reason, God in his wisdom and still his love for that man has, has said no to taking this cup away of what this man is battling. And I, the same is true in this room this morning. We've all got our battles and we've been laying them before God. Can you take this cup from me? God, can you help that person I love that's just struggling? Or God, can you help me with my health stuff? Or God, can you help me with my addiction? Or God, can you... Like whatever your cup is that you've said, can you take this? There's, there are many of us in this room that have heard what Jesus heard in the garden. And the, answer was, the answer was no. Can you imagine how that just had to crush even God on the receiving end of that prayer to just not want to just say, okay, son, we'll do something else, but to have the Father say no. Um, Jesus is modeling for us just brutal honesty in our prayer lives. And and so here's where we usually stop, though. We usually go, okay, God loves me. God's all-powerful. I'm going to ask for whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me. Like, that's, that's sliding back into what I said earlier. We write our own script and just ask God to endorse it. 
But what just unlocked this whole thing was Jesus' last line in the prayer. where He said, not my will, but yours. That's, that's the key. That even though I've asked this big prayer for the cup to be removed, even though that's been the plan from eternity past, that I would come, that I would be the Savior of the world, that I would take your wrath on the cross and extend eternal life. Yes, out of that, but the Father said no, and Jesus surrendered and said, not my will, but yours. And guys, there's some, there, we can't even begin to describe the beauty that came from Jesus saying, not my will, but yours. There's some scholars that say, and I'm probably with them here, that this is the pivot of the whole Bible, that that verse is what the whole Bible hinges on. If Jesus had said no, if Jesus had walked away, I don't know that there, we're not told of a plan B. Like, what would God have done with our sins and with his wrath, his godly wrath towards sin? And so when Jesus said, not my will but yours, you see a complete unlocking of the whole plan of God, the whole unfolding of God's amazing plan to show his love and his grace for sinners like us was all launched the pivot of the whole Bible was just right here. Not my will, but yours. And, and the same is going to be true for us. That, that whatever it is, those different cups are that we face throughout our lives. It's those moments where we say and then live, God, not my will, but yours. That God will do the most astonishing things that we can even imagine. And so the interesting thing with that is some of those things we may not experience on this planet. There, there may be some cups that you hold through the rest of your life. We're asking God to take it, and he may continually say, no, no, no. But where we get back to is the whole point of my plan or God's plan. Is, is my way better or is his way better? Is he truly great and good or uh, is he not? Is he mistaken somewhere? And now I got to go with with my plan. That's going to be the descriptor of our lives. Not my will, but yours. And so it's at the end of that prayer, at the end of that, we don't know exactly how long it went, but this prayer went on for a while. This battle was not won with just four, four statements. Jesus prayed these things over and over again. And so when that victory was won, when Jesus emerged from this time of prayer, you're, you're going to be astonished now, maybe looking at the Easter story with a whole different lens, that you're going to see a resolve in Jesus to face trials, to face beating, to face the cross, because the victory had already been won right here when he laid down, not my will, but yours be done. You're going to see Jesus do some astonishing things. We do see in Luke's gospel, it tells us at the end of this time of prayer that Jesus uh, was, was ministered to by an angel. It reminds us of the time where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry for 40 days, where he resisted Satan's temptation. At the end of that time, God strengthened him again with, with an angel. And so we're not told that Satan was visibly there with Jesus in the garden, but, but you know he was, that there was that strong temptation uh, to, to deny God's goodness or greatness and to stop doing this plan this cup is going to hurt and so when Jesus resolved to go through with the plan God didn't take the cup away but God gave Jesus the strength that he needed to walk through that that cup very very powerful decision 
And at the end of this little passage here, we see in verse 37, that even though this was an intense time for Jesus, his concern was still for his disciples. He, it says when he, he came and he found them sleeping. Remember, these are his friends. Hey, you're supposed to be praying for me. They're sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh the flesh is weak. And so he's, he's warning the disciples, hey, this isn't just my battle. This will be yours. I think this is a warning to all of us. Like, like do what he did. Watch and pray because uh, temptation is coming. Can we stand strong? So I think Jesus is really inviting us into what he did in the garden, to be, to be men and women, to be a church that stands strong, gets on our knees, uh, when those hard times come and come to that same conclusion he did, not my will, uh, but yours. And so what I love, we're going to jump now to John. Okay, so if you have a Bible, go to John 18. We're going to start in verse 4. What you see from this moment on in the garden is Jesus living with resolve that he is going to go for the Father's plan. And so sometimes when you read through the Easter narrative, you might be tempted to think, oh, poor Jesus, his life was taken from him. Oh, poor Jesus was hung on a cross. What is absolutely clear from the garden forward is that Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. He submitted to the Father's plan. Out of his love for you, out of his love for me, he laid down his life. I love this passage because I don't think there's one that shows it even more clearly than this. So verse 4 says that Jesus, knowing that all this would happen to him, so he finished praying, talked to his disciples, why are you sleeping? And then Jesus said, and now the time for my betrayal has come. And literally right after this prayer, they, they estimate 400 to 700 armed soldiers just came to arrest him. I mean, they were armed to the hilt. It was like they were ready to capture a terrorist. It was like they were expecting a gun battle. They were expecting a fight. And they're sending out 400 to 700 guys to just arrest one, okay? So that's what's going on. Verse four, Jesus knowing all that would happen to him came forward and said to them, so Jesus isn't running. It's not like, guys, take off. It's going to be horrible. Like he just, you see Jesus and his resolve moving toward these 400, 700 soldiers. And he asked them, who do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Uh, Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Sometimes that's a detail in this whole Easter narrative people miss. This is my favorite part, okay? So what's happening here is when Jesus said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I think he answered, I am. And if, you, if that rings true or rings familiar to you, I am is the name that God used to identify himself to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, who should I say is sending me to Egypt? God just identified himself as I am who I am. And so those words I am had a powerful meaning. For, for any follower of God, okay? And so here's Jesus. He claimed to be God throughout his ministry. They say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, he says, I am. And can you picture 400 armed soldiers just all at once going down? The word falling down meant to be overcome by a stronger power. So 400 soldiers with spears and knives and whatever, they weren't the ones with the authority. It was this one Jesus of Nazareth that just said, I am, and they all felt. Like, again, if Jesus wanted to just kind of pull off his own plan, he could have just said, I am, 
and then just take off running, right? He's got all the guys on the ground. Or if he was, maybe I'd be really cocky with that power. I'd start walking around and going, I am, I am, I am. I am, 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 I am. And so you just see these guys up, down, up, down, up, down. Or just keep them down, you know, I just kind of strut among them. I am, I am, I am. Like just, I'd kind of rub that in their faces for a while. So again, Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. And he put that on full display. I am, they all fall down. We're even told that Peter whipped out a knife and like, Peter, what are you thinking? Like, there's 400 of them. You're going to take them on, Peter? Like, you think you got this? And so Peter cuts a guy's ear off. In the midst of that, the guy's name was Malchus. In the midst of that, Jesus even picks up that ear and puts it back on. Like, hello, who's in charge here? Is it really the Roman authorities? Is it really the Jewish religious leaders? Or is it the Son of God with all authority on heaven and earth given to him, now laying that authority aside so that it can be his Father's will, not his personal will. Just a powerful demonstration of surrender on display. And what we are the beneficiaries of now is the victory of surrender. What Jesus gleaned for us through his surrender is absolutely astonishing. There's an author named Max Lucado who talks about the Bible being the story of two gardens. So it talks about how the Garden of Eden, where, where man and women sinned against God and rejected God, versus the Garden of Gethsemane. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam took a fall, but in Gethsemane, Jesus took a stand. In Eden, God sought Adam. After Adam sinned, Adam, where are you? But in Gethsemane, Jesus sought God. In, Gethsemane, in, in Eden, Adam hid from God. In Gethsemane, Jesus emerged. He moved toward the soldiers coming to arrest him. In, in Eden, Satan led Adam to a tree that brought death. But in Gethsemane, you see the Father leading Jesus to a tree that brought life. And life to all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us, and that he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is one of those, whoa, what's that mean? Words, okay? Propitiation means that Jesus took away the wrath of God. He, he as, as a propitiation for our sins, means he was the one that took, took the wrath, took the payment we deserve. And that was all motivated by the love of God. In love, God sent his son, and he was the one to take away the wrath of God. So John 3.36 says that whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So even in this room this morning or at home on the live stream this morning, there's two kinds of people. There are those who have gained victory by the battle that Jesus fought and won. And we have gained the victory of eternal life by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. God, I'm a sinner. God, I've offended you, the holy God. I need help, God, in your love. You've provided Jesus to be the propitiation of my sin. I trust in Jesus, and that's the victory that's available to everyone this morning, that, that we can have eternal life. But guys, we need to understand the consequences of the other choice. If we're not going to say, God, I don't believe your plan, I don't believe that Jesus did that for me, then we still are objects of God's wrath. And so there's a big choice to make through this Easter season. But what Jesus invites us to, what he exemplifies for us, is a life where we lay down our rights, and we, we live by the Father's plan, that we take the cup, whatever that cup is for us, 
and we say, not my will, but yours. And we watch God unlock his plan that, that will bring life, not just to us, but to, to many others around us as we follow the Father's plan. So there's a list here we're going to end with this morning. Um, there's a speaker at Passion 2017 this year. Her name is Christine Kane. She's Australian. And in her talk, she was talking about two ambitions that can drive our lives. There's a godly ambition and there's a selfish ambition. And there's a chart that I'll put up here and just see, again, the life that Jesus lived on the left side. That godly ambition is initiated by God. It advances God's kingdom. It honors others. It's others-focused. It prefers others. It involves dying to self, and it longs to please God. And you look at the other side of selfish ambition, driven by self. It's building my kingdom. It's competing with others. It's selfish. It uses others. Gratifies ourselves. It, it's people-pleasing instead of God-pleasing. And you just kind of look at that and say, okay, right now, which would describe the way that we're living? Are we the life that Jesus died for us to live is on that left side where it's not about us. It's about following the Father's plan. And if we were, if you're a parent this morning, like you're asking your kids, okay, which, which kind of parent would you like in your life? Or you ask the friends in your life, what kind of friend would you like? Or if you're married this morning, what kind of spouse would you like? Like this is, this is a, a whole new life that Jesus is inviting into that, that, that brings uh, new life into marriages, into families, into friendships, into churches as we live that life on the left side, the life that Jesus died for us to have. So what I want to do to wrap up our time is I want to give you just a couple minutes here at the end to just kind of walk through that prayer that Jesus prayed, okay? So you can put your stuff down. Your, if you're taking notes, put your pen down. There's a slide that'll come up here. Just kind of walk us through the four points of Jesus' prayer. And so just even where you're sitting quietly or if you're with somebody, you want to pray with them out loud, you can do that. But just start with Abba Father, like just celebrate his love for you. Go ahead and do that right now. Just thank God for being a God who is loving, who's approachable, who cares for you. He's compassionate. Just as you pray to him, just celebrate his goodness and his love for you. Abba Father. He loves seeing you. He loves hearing your voice. He knows you. He knows the cares in your heart. He knows you in your worst days. He moved toward you in his love for you. He is for you, not against you. Abba, Father. And then could you praise him for his greatness? All things are possible for you. Tell him about his greatness. Praise him. And then get real with him. Get real with him. What's your cup this morning? What is that thing? It's just... It's just causing sorrow. It's causing grief in your life. Maybe it's someone close to you that you just see struggling or suffering. Maybe, maybe that's your cup this morning. Maybe it's for you personally, something you've asked over and over again for years. Father, take this from me. Father, do something here. Help me. What is your cup? Just give that to him. Ask him boldly. 
this is not easy. And we saw Jesus had to battle for this last line. But can you get to that place even this morning where you say, not my will, but yours? And in spite of that cup you're holding right now, you can still ground it in his greatness and goodness, his love and his power. You can, you can relinquish that cup and your desire for it to go. And you can say, not my will, but yours. Can you, can you say that to him this morning? Father, we're a people here who desperately need you. We have seen this morning that you're a father who loves us. Your compassion is great. Your mercy is great. Every one of us, when you hear our voice, you light up like a dad grabbing a young child. You love us. You love holding us in your arms. You are strong. You are almighty. You are in complete control. You are the king of kings. You're the rock and refuge. Nothing can move you. Nothing can change your steadfast love for us. Nothing can change the plans you have that are so glorious, so beyond us. So we worship your love. We worship you for your greatness. And we thank you that you heard our cries to take away these cups. God, I, I know there's cups. I know cups in this room right now. And I, uh, my heart breaks, God. Just there have been requests for cups removed that I know you have said no. You have said no. I can't imagine what it did to your heart to hear your son in the garden say, take this cup, and you had to say no. Father, we know that, that you draw near to broken hearts, that you're compassionate with us even when you say no. So, so God, give us the courage and the faith to say, not my will, but yours, so that we can unlock what you want to do, so that we can surrender our plan to your plan, so that you can do the paradoxical, that those who humble themselves get exalted, that the way to find life is to lose it, that we just, Jesus, walk the path that you walk. We're going to see it in the weeks ahead, your resolve, your strength, your power. But thank you for showing us behind the scenes that that came from this intense time of prayer. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. God, unleash us and unleash this church to say, not my will, but yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.